Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, which is it? Is the economy strong or does it need steroids? The lead starts right now. Breaking news one day after the White House said this was not a thing. President Trump today saying his administration is looking at a new tax cut. Or the president's recession worries being revealed as 2020 gets closer. As a brand new CNN poll shows Joe Biden cementing his top spot in the 2020 race, his wife's candid moment seems to reveal the campaign's clear strategy. Plus, gangsters stripping the jungle of gold, leaving a trail of blood behind. A CNN exclusive on how one dictator is mercilessly trying to cling to power. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill in for Jake. And we begin today with breaking news in our money lead. President Trump declaring in the Oval Office just moments ago he is considering a payroll tax cut, something White House aides repeatedly denied over the last 24 hours. But he's not considering it because he's worried about the economy. The president insisting that move would have nothing to do with increased fears of recession. Instead, using the opportunity to once again slam Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. CNN's Pamela Brown starts us off today from the White House. President Trump pushing back against recession fears. I think the word recession is a word that's inappropriate. And defending the U.S. economy to reporters in the Oval Office today. We're very far from a recession. Uh, in fact, if the Fed would do its job, I think would have a tremendous spurt of growth, a tremendous spurt. The president starting his day on Twitter, sharing more than a dozen tweets from allies and supporters praising his administration's efforts on the economy. From Vice President Pence, our economy is thriving and Americans are winning, to the RNC chairwoman, economic confidence is at record highs. But even as the Trump administration touts the economy, CNN has learned behind closed doors, White House officials are mulling a payroll tax cut to offset anxiety over an economic slowdown. Payroll taxes, I've been thinking about payroll taxes for a long time. Whether or not we do it now or not is... uh Uh, It's not being done because of recession. The economy, not the only issue Trump is considering. On gun control, Trump once again seeming to back down from his push just a few days ago for extended background checks. We have very, very strong background checks right now, but we have uh, sort of missing areas and areas that don't complete the whole circle. After talking with lawmakers and NRA head Wayne LaPierre in the last week, Trump today using the lobbying group's language on gun control measures. A lot of the people that put me where I am are strong believers in the Second Amendment, and I am also. And we have to be very careful about that. You know, they call it the slippery slope, and all of a sudden everything gets taken away. We're not going to let that happen. 
Now, in addition to pressure from the NRA, the president's shift on background checks comes after his discussions with lawmakers and a briefing from White House officials who had been looking at various options. Now, White House officials still maintain uh, that gun control legislation is not off the table. The true test will be once lawmakers return from summer recess. But, Erica, this appears to be yet another example of the president touting certain initiatives only to back away under political pressure. That it does. Pamela Brown at the White House for us this afternoon. Pam, thank you. As we look at all of this, I do want to go back for just a moment to this payroll tax, which we've heard so much about. And there was this pretty strong denial, I know, Caitlin, for a little while. What is your sense? Is this really a serious consideration for the president or is it a bit of a trial balloon? Well, he admits he's been thinking about it, but really what you're seeing, the broader point, they're looking at multiple things behind the scenes to stave off any kind of an economic turndown because even though they say publicly they're not worried about the recession, we are seeing concern inside the White House. The double-edged sword part of it is that they feel if it gets out that they're planning for some kind of recession or downturn, then it's going to lead to Americans tightening their belt and then lead to more Mm -hmm. problems with the economy. So that's why you're seeing them say behind this or publicly that they're not considering anything, even though the president admits publicly today that, yes, a payroll tax cut is something that has been on his mind, among other measures. Among other measures. But there's also the fact, Jackie, that a payroll tax cut would directly undercut the president's own message about the strength of the economy. Well, right. But the president doesn't really concern himself with undercutting his own message. It's what he's saying at this moment, not to mention a payroll tax cut would take money away from Social Security, increase the debt, which no one cares about right now because there's a Republican president. But that aside, it, it, it the the president believes that a recession is a self-fulfilling prophecy, that if everyone starts talking about it and, as Caitlin said, people mm-hmm. start tightening their belt, it's going to happen. And this and he has put all of his eggs in the economy basket for re-election. So he has every incentive to keep this message up that everything's fine and we're just doing it because everything is great. Well, let's just remind people what a little bit of that message is. Here's a little bit more from the president. Our economy is doing fantastically. Our economy is incredible. And we're right now the number one country anywhere in the world by far as an economy. Very far from a recession. To Jackie's point, how long can the president continue with that message? when the debt and the deficit continue to bloom, when there is this increasing concern of a trade war, which he again tried to downplay today, but it is there. I mean, look, reality is reality. Either the economy is slowing or not, will slow or not. Germany is going into a recession. There's quite a lot of evidence that we might be heading towards, I think we are heading towards a slowdown. We might be heading towards a recession. And at that point, I was in a White House in 1991. We went into a very mild recession. We talked a lot about payroll tax cut, capital gains indexing, all the same things. Desperate, whenever White Houses start talking about this, in my experience, they're sliding into a recession. They're, they're flailing about trying to, too late. The truth is, even if you cut the payroll tax in September, it's not clear it would affect any, you know, the, the stuff that's already built in is probably leading us to a slowdown. But I agree, the politics of what happens for the first time in the Trump presidency with a real slowdown is a big question mark. You know, we've, we're very used to interpreting Trump now for two and a half years. We've interpreted him against the backdrop of a pretty good economy, and pretty good economic growth. And we don't know kind of what the politics of the Trump presidency, what the politics of the Democratic race are either, if you really get a serious slowdown. Well, and that's that's the big what if, right, especially on the Democratic side. What if there is a slowdown? But it's also the when, because that depends a lot on the message. Let's not forget that there's only so much control any president has over the economy. And let's not forget that on voting day or voting week, voting month, it'd be about your perception of the economic conditions versus your personal circumstances, right? And let's not forget, most importantly, what President Trump is really good at. He's an entertainer. 
He's looking to see what else I can say to distract of that possible recession that's coming that everybody who's educated on economics has substantiated with studies and reports. This is what's coming. Now, let's make a distraction. I think it's all about getting that latest tweet out. He is, he is running, though, if we do look at some of the numbers, right? We hear the words from the president. There are numbers, though, in this case. Ronald McDaniel actually actually tweeting out 6 million new jobs, 6 million plus new jobs, over half of those for women in this tweet, 500,000 manufacturing jobs created, record low unemployment among African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asian-Americans. Now, just to be clear, we went and we looked at all of these numbers. They are accurate. There is one minor tweak that I would make, and that is while there has been record low unemployment for Asian-Americans under President Trump, it has ticked back up recently. So we are not in that moment right now. But given those numbers, that is a strong platform for this president to run on. Again, it's all personal. And if you look at the tweet that's right under her tweet, you could see that it is the third lowest from January to July of any of the last 10 years. So, yes, the numbers are correct. But if you compare them to the last 10 years, especially the Obama administration, it's not marginally that much better. It really isn't. The markets may be strong, and he benefited when he took office from love from Wall Street. You know, there was economic growth. He inherited a good economy. But whether or not he can sustain that, he has also increased a lot of the trades. And if you look at the numbers, it is 95% of all those tariffs are on the backs of America and only 5% on China. So, you know, that doesn't bode well for the American farmer or for the American worker. But also, but with that's that why economy the he's had, you know, I just... Any normal president would be at 55 or 60 percent approval. He has had, a, you know, maybe a lot of the credit may be due to President Obama. Maybe he's slowed things down. Still, objectively, if you went to a political scientist or historian and said, here are the economic numbers for the first two and a half years of this guy's presidency, and we're not in any terrible war like Vietnam or anything like that, what, how, what's his approval rating likely to be? People would say 55, 60 percent. The fact that he's at 42 or 43 is because he's Donald Trump and people disapprove of a lot of other things he's done, as I think they should. And the question is, how much lower does that 42 or 43 go without the strong economy bucking up some of those reluctant Trump supporters who don't like a lot of things he's doing, but do think, geez, you know, the economy's pretty good. I think if, that, if he loses that sort of, geez, the economy's pretty good sentiment, he's in real political trouble in the general election and maybe even to a Republican primary challenger. And that's the people who do approve of the job he's doing. One of the main reasons is because of the economy. Right. Despite what's going on inside the West Wing, the chaos, the turmoil, the policy back and forth that you've seen over the last two and a half years, they know that they can bank on the economy. And you see officials do that regularly. That's why you see the president saying he believes it's the media or it's the Democrats or he's blaming the Federal Reserve for the state of the economy because he doesn't want to take that blame because he knows that's his argument he can make to mm -hmm. 2020 voters. And he's hearing it even from people inside the White House who agree that it's being overplayed those fears of a, of a recession, and he doesn't have to be that worried about it, though some of his economic advisors are. So we know the economy is going to be big in, be big in 2020, but that may not be what Democratic voters should really be looking at. Jill Biden's stark calculus on why she says people should vote for her husband as another candidate who tried to take on the former VP sees a major drop in our new CNN poll. Plus, the Trump administration making a surprising admission. That's all ahead. The 2020 lead, Joe Biden, you see him there campaigning right now in Iowa as a new CNN poll shows he is dominating the race ahead by double digits, bolstering his campaign line of the week, which says he's the strongest candidate to beat President Trump. And it's his wife, Jill Biden, who largely stays out of the fray, out with a similar new blunt message to voters. As CNN's Arlette Science reports, Jill Biden telling Democrats there is one reason to back her husband 
And it's not about the issues. Joe Biden back on the campaign trail in Iowa, holding on to his status as the Democratic frontrunner. Biden's electability factor at the center of his pitch in the first TV ad of his campaign hitting Iowa airwaves today. We have to beat Donald Trump. And all the polls agree Joe Biden is the strongest Democrat to do the job. No one is more qualified. His wife, Jill Biden, stressing a similar message in New Hampshire as she spoke to a group of teachers not necessarily committed to her husband's candidacy. Your candidate might be better on, I don't know, health care than Joe is. But you've got to look at who's going to win this election. And maybe you have to swallow a little bit and say, OK, I sort of personally like so-and-so better. But your bottom line has to be that we have to beat Trump. The electability push comes as a new CNN national poll shows the majority of Democratic voters want a candidate with the best chance of beating President Trump, while 39 percent say it's more important for a candidate to share their views on issues. In the overall race, the new CNN survey has Biden maintaining his perch at the top of the Democratic field. The former vice president with a double-digit lead over his rivals, as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren battle it out for second place. Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris both coming in at 5 percent, marking a 12-point dip for the California senator since June. Warren today honing in on the issue of criminal justice, releasing a plan that would repeal the 1994 crime bill, a measure Biden helped write. It's a direct criticism of a bill that has been very harmful to millions of people. We need to correct that mistake. Now, Joe Biden is kicking off a two-day swing through Iowa, speaking here in Prohl, Iowa, right behind me. Tomorrow, he'll be addressing a labor convention, and later this week, he'll be heading to the early primary state of New Hampshire. Erica. All right, let's science live for us in Iowa. Thank you. Uh, Ginny says we look at this as we listen to it, too, from Jill Biden. You got to swallow a little, she says. Your bottom line has to be, we have to beat Trump. Is that the best message? That's a clear message. It's clear, but is it the best one? <laughs> What's best? I mean, let's be real. Look at who he has to defeat. And let's not, let's also think in terms of a presidential campaign and name recognition, which really, really matters. And he really has that, and nobody else does. Let's not forget who he was, Senator, ex-president. I mean, he is the leading politician, and he makes mistakes, but God, uh, look who's in the White House. So he's not perfect, and neither is Donald Trump. And I think that what Jill Biden did was she was a very realistic wife. Hey, you may not agree with my husband. He's not perfect. He makes mistakes, but he's your best bet. So, you know, much like President Trump saying you got to vote for me if you're 401k, uh, you want to keep it, which is not necessarily true. Just saying something similar, but in her own democratic Biden way. But this isn't like a soaring vision for the future kind of message. This feels no. like a message that happens later in a campaign when, you know, it, it's down to a couple people mm -hmm. and you're saying, OK, well, you know, you want to beat Trump, go with me. It, it doesn't have the sort of forward looking optimism that you're hearing from some of the other candidates that that, that appeals to that. activists. But maybe it's too early for that. I mean, Hey, maybe anything is possible. <laughs> but also you've seen Democrats for the last two and a half years saying they've got so many people that they think could be a better president than President Trump. And right. now they're making this argument, an argument pretty similar to the one you saw Trump make in 2016, where it was at least I'm not Hillary. 
Joe Biden's if it's going to be at least I'm not Trump, which was effective for Trump in 2016 because mm -hmm. people knew what they were getting, they thought, in Hillary Clinton. They didn't know they were getting in Donald Trump. Will that work for someone who's already occupied part of the White House is another question. Well, it's also interesting, too, because if you look at this new CNN poll, while there has been a slight dip in terms of what's more important, uh, people were asked, what's more important, beating Donald Trump or sharing positions with the nominee? And again, this is down a little bit from June, but 54 yeah. percent say beating Donald Trump is the most important thing, Bill, which, you know, really makes Jill Biden's point. Yeah, and I think it's a little unfair to say, well, that's not, you know, an elevating or inspiring message. Some of us would be inspired by removing Donald Trump from the White House. And honestly, more inspired you, than that, yeah. yes, me. And his name is Bill Christopher. <laughs> I think a lot of Democrats, a lot of uh, independent voters, and honestly, more inspired than, well, here's my detailed health care plan, which differs in the following three tiny ways from this one. And Who wants no, details? All of which is going to get changed by Congress anyway. The one thing we know is that if the Democrat defeats Donald Trump in 2020, Donald Trump is no longer president. We don't know what health care plan Congress will pass. We don't know exactly what gun controls will get passed. We don't know foreign policy things. So I'm very much uh, sort of on board. That, I mean, I think, A, it's the, as you sort of suggested, it's the card he has to play anyway, right? He's not going to be the fresh new face in the Democratic field. He's got to play the card that I can win, but more than I can win, I can bring the country back together. I can restore decency in the White House. I can restore kind of normalcy to our politics. Well, I think that's a pretty big but, message for that. And that's his message, clearly. We're seeing, that in the new, <laughs> we're seeing that in his new ad show. I just want to play a snippet of this. The threat more serious. We have to beat Donald Trump. And all the polls agree Joe Biden is the strongest Democrat to do the job. So he's drilling down on that with the polling, with the messaging. But there's also the voice in it, sort of the reminder of he's middle class Joe Kalen. I'm just curious to your point of the messaging that the Trump campaign had in 2016. Right. Anything's better than Hillary. This is the Joe Biden that he's putting out there that people are very familiar with. Is there concern in the White House that that may start to resonate? Well, there is concern about it because, of course, they are the same people who will say they don't agree with the president's tweets insulting former staffers or insulting congressmen or insulting people like Elijah Cummings. They understand that kind of a, that is not appealing to those middle class voters that they want. But, of course, as it was in 2016, the question is, that's your strategy for the election. What is it once you're in the White House and you're governing? And we've seen it play out with Donald Trump, who made this argument. I'm not Hillary Clinton. Put me in the White House. I'll listen to my advisors. When increasingly, two and a half years, we're seeing him rely more on himself. I think voters are still going to have that question. If someone does defeat Donald Trump and Joe Biden or whoever gets in there, they still want to know what's going to happen to their 401ks, to their health care plans, what they're going to do with that. So I don't I think that's a short lived promise for voters who will still care who is president in four years however many years, if it's not Donald Trump. The other thing that was fascinating to me in this poll is that we saw Kamala Harris dip 12 points between June right. and this most, re most recent polling in August after the last debates. Warren and, and, and Sanders stayed pretty steady. It just shows how soft her support is right now, because it's sort of diffused in nowhere, because mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't one candidate that went up so much because of Kamala Harris, which we've seen that a little bit with Bernie, uh, with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, the, the support kind of teeter-totter between the two of them. Uh, it, it, she had that moment, but it doesn't have a staying power yet because it's early and she's not someone that voters know. It also says in that poll, she's one of, I think, the top two um, candidates that voters want to know more about. So there's still time. There's still room. But surely she didn't really um, solidify that support behind her after that debate performance. Uh, stick around. We're going to tackle ISIS next. President Trump claiming ISIS is totally defeated. You've heard, heard him say it. Up next, though, why his secretary of state now says... It's complicated. 
In our world lead, this is not the answer you want to hear when the Secretary of State is asked if ISIS is gaining strength. It's complicated. Uh, the, there's certainly places where ISIS is more powerful today uh, than they were uh, uh, three or four years ago, uh, but the caliphate is gone. This, of course, after a Pentagon report reveals the terrorist group is actually resurging in Syria and Iraq. CNN's Barbara Starr joining us now live from the Pentagon. So, Barbara, the president has said ISIS was 100 percent defeated. The report, though, seems to disagree. Yeah, not so much, Erica. Um, you know, the president, I think, in recent months has acknowledged when he says 100 percent defeated, he means the territory, the physical territory that ISIS once controlled across Iraq and Syria, largely now not under their control. But pockets of ISIS are reemerging. ISIS has money, financing, and according uh, and the ability to carry out attacks, as we've seen, according to the latest estimates, there may be something like 50. 15,000 ISIS adherents and fighters now in Iraq and Syria. Listen to a little bit more of how Secretary of State Pompeo explained all of this. And their capacity uh, to conduct external attacks has been made um, much more difficult. We've taken down significant risk, not all of it, mm -hmm. uh, but a significant amount. So they do have some capacity to finance, train, equip, and still carry out attacks. And there is even more. There's something like 70,000 people in displaced persons camps inside Syria. 70,000, 50,000 are under the age of 18. And that becomes a new breeding ground, a new recruiting ground for ISIS, a new generation of ISIS fighters. So Barbara, also in terms of the president pulling troops out from Syria, how much of a factor is that in ISIS regaining power? Well, you know, now there's about a thousand U.S. troops left in Syria. And so this means that the security forces that they've trained there may be just a bit more vulnerable, a bit more struggling to push back against ISIS in that area. And when ISIS sees vulnerability, that's when it comes to the front. Erica? Barbara Starr with the latest force from the Pentagon. Barbara, thank you. As we look at all of this, I keep going back to hearing Secretary Pompeo say it's complicated. That's a tough status update when you're talking about ISIS, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> honest, I, I've, got you, I've got to say, and it's not just happy talk. And look, to their credit, they have pummeled ISIS pretty well, I think. And so far as one can tell, uh, they've done a pretty good job on that front. The problem is Trump's general aversion to having leaving troops in places and to doing more than just pummeling the bad guys, which I'm all for, but it's not the, there's a lot of other things one has to do to have an effective foreign policy, means that I think we're not over the medium and long term are we increasing the chances of stability in the Middle East, elsewhere? I'm doubtful about that. The president, this is what he had to say just last month when it comes to ISIS. Take a listen. We did a great job with the caliphate. We have 100 percent of the caliphate and we're rapidly pulling out of Syria. We'll be out of there pretty soon and uh, let them handle their own problems. Syria can handle their own problems. Obviously, that doesn't age very well. Um, it's also interesting, too, as we listen to what Barbara just put out there about what's happening in Syria with troops being pulled out, how things are being handled. What is the sense in the White House? The president reverses course on things all the time. 
Is there a sense that there could be a change in strategy? But this is why defense officials didn't want the president saying something like what you just saw there, mm-hmm. saying that they're completely destroyed, that right. they're gone, because they knew that, of course, while they had greatly weakened them, there were still pockets of them, and they were essentially just trying to contain them, keep them out of urban areas. That's what defense officials on the ground were saying when the president was making comments like that one. That's why you saw the defense secretary, James Mattis, resign over the Syria troop withdrawal in December. It came to a disagreement he had with the president where the president thought he was right and Mattis said okay you can think you're right but I can't serve in this position anymore Mm. because of that so you see how the president's thinking goes against what some of his own closest military advisors have advised him to say about things like that this is going to continue to be an issue too when we talk about things like forever wars we're going to to touch a little bit more on Afghanistan because we did hear from the president on that today but this is going to be an issue for Democrats as well it is in every election Americans want to see their sons their daughters their spouses come home. This is tough and it can be tough to sell. How are Democrats going to tackle this? Because they'll need a plan too. Well, I think you have to go with the truth. And I think you have to go with what is provides stability also for our forces. Mm -hmm. I think we have lost a lot of good men. I mean, I come from a family of veterans. So thank God I never lost a family member. But there are prices that are paid when you serve the military under circumstances that are trying and are always trying. And ISIS and dealing with the caliphate, this is not like flushing the toilet. You just walk away and say, I'm done with it. No. I think this is what you mentioned earlier. If you don't have a foreign policy that is in place with uh, diplomats doing their job and a presence that is consistent, you do create a vacuum. And that makes it very dangerous for our uh, boys and women, men and women, and for everybody on the ground, especially people who support us who are on the ground. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we have made great strides in the caliphate, which I think at some point was as big as Great Britain in terms of space. But that doesn't mean that we are done. And I very much doubt that any Democrat running could say that we're done. That would be a good strategy. Well, and one of the most interesting things about this field is you do have three veterans. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Pete right. Buttigieg and Seth Moulton. They've all served in Iraq or Afghanistan and have been have been talking about it on the campaign trail and have presented plans. So you do have this sort of first-person narration that you haven't seen in a lot of fields in the last, you know, couple cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, And perhaps that will make a difference um, as, you know, we move forward and continue to have this conversation um, in debates and other forums. But there's a lot of isolationism in both parties. I mean, the president said Syria can deal with its own problems. Syria can't deal with its own problems. Half a million Syrians are dead, and we didn't intervene there. And unfortunately, and I very much am against Trump's America first foreign policy, unfortunately, the Democrats partly for political reasons, partly because they are dovish on some of these issues, aren't being honest about what we have to do around the world, both diplomatically, but also in terms of military force and the threat of military force. Uh, A week ago, President Trump bragging the American steel industry was growing. Now, 200 people are losing their jobs. The Trump policy that may be behind it all, that's next. In our national lead, President Trump claims the steel industry is thriving, thanks to him. Yet today we are learning U.S. Steel is temporarily laying off about 200 workers in Michigan. And the president's tariffs may be partially to blame. If the economy is the defining issue of the 2020 election, CNN's Martin Savage found there's a divide emerging in the Rust Belt over whether the Trump economy is working for everyone. Scranton, Pennsylvania, home to the sitcom The Office, the birthplace of Joe Biden in a state where white working-class voters helped propel Donald Trump to victory. And if he hopes to win again, 
Trump's chances may hinge on those same voters and the economy. So I'm here asking people, how is the economy? And I'm getting two very different answers. Yeah, I think things are definitely good. There's more jobs in the area. Uh, The stock market's really high. I think we're on the verge of a recession. I quickly pick up on a theme. How are you feeling about the economy? I'm feeling optimistic. So if I asked you, how's the economy, you say? Have some concerns. How people view the economy here is directly related to how they see the president. Jessica Stotsman owns Diskin Saloon, and she's a huge Trump fan. Did you like the fact he was a businessman? Yes. Yes, that was one of the biggest things. Um, I feel the country has become like a business. Criminal defense attorney Paul Walker is definitely not for Trump, and he sees trouble ahead. And if this economy turns like I think it's going to, then it's going to turn on him. Scranton's a factory town. Nationally, manufacturing jobs numbers are the highest they've been in a decade, according to the Department of Labor. But there are signs hiring and production are slowing. Bad news for manufacturing workers, a key part of the president's base. People like Trump voter Douglas Waltrip, an electrician. Economic forecasts suggest dark clouds, but he sees only sunshine where he works. we got more work than we know what to do with right now. Really? Yes. I ask another key question. Would voters stick with the president if the economy turns negative? Union rep Joe Labaranti, a Democrat who voted for Hillary Clinton, doesn't think so. We're on a high right now, and if we we go belly up, I think it's going to be a big, big difference. While Trump voters say even if the economy turns bad, they would still back the president. Right now, yes. Would you vote different? Not necessarily, because I think... The economy's always up and down. And there was another question that I decided to ask these Trump voters especially, and that was, are there any Democrats out there they might consider? Every one of them said no. I said, what about hometown Joe Biden? Even Joe Biden wasn't very much appreciated here. Erica? All right, Martin Savage. Appreciate it. Thank you. A CNN exclusive inside Venezuela, how brutal, violent gangs are using torture, murder and gold mines to help Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro keep his hold on power. A CNN exclusive in our world lead deep in the Venezuelan jungle, a state sponsored network of gangs are fighting over gold mines, torturing, mutilating and murdering miners to keep control. President Nicolas Maduro is using the lucrative mines as a financial lifeline. CNN's Isa Suarez has exclusive access to the mines. And I do want to warn you, some of the images you're about to see are graphic. On the fringes of the Amazon rainforest, a state-sponsored network of violent gangs and corrupt Venezuelan military hide amongst a vast land, rich in minerals and seeping gold. All this has made this area Maduro's El Dorado, and it's this that's giving him a financial lifeline. We've come deep into Venezuela's mining arc to find out how Nicolas Maduro is holding on to power and able to resist American pressure. He's given himself direct control over this land, and he's bleeding it dry. Enriching himself and buying the allegiance of the military, And it all starts with the local miners. 
Who with mouths to feed at home risk it all operating in this lawless region. We venture in 50 metres deep. It is a precarious operation. Inside, the miners guide us through the various levels and galleries, past evidence of a colonial thirst for gold. Along the way, I meet Darwin Rojas, who has been mining here for three years now. Back-breaking work in intense humidity. Everywhere you look, speckles shimmer from above. This mine has been so productive for them because they have got 250 kilos of gold out of this mine, just to give you a sense, really, of why it's called the Millionaire Mine. If 250 kilos or just over 550 pounds is accurate, that's well over $10 million at global market prices, all from one single dug hole. There are dozens around us, thousands within Venezuela's mining arc. But not all that shimmers is gold, and these miners know it. These rocks need to be crushed, processed, scraped and melted before you actually see the gold. This nugget here, $315. But it comes at a cost to the health of the miners as well as the environment, with mercury and other chemicals used to separate gold from grit, poisoning everything you see around us. But this is business, and these mills don't do it for free. And then there's an additional cost, even if the miners are scared to admit it. It's clear from what he's saying there are other forces involved, there are the people they have to pay in order to be continuing to work in these, mine, in these mines, but clearly they're not prepared to tell us who, who they are. They have every reason to be afraid. These mines are run by a network of hooded militias called Pranes, who, according to a senior military source, enter mines to extort, steal and silence. They do so together with complicit members of the military, who they bribe to operate freely. A local miner too scared to speak out about the gangs close to the mines opens up once his identity is hidden. They mutilate people, they cut them, torture them, and the ones that speak are also tortured and mutilated. They kill them and throw them down those holes. One active senior military source confirms what we've heard in El Callao, telling me these same groups use death squads to command obedience, battling each other and the military for control over this mining area. It's a pressure tactic of blood and bullets. I asked the miner if he blames Maduro. I think the government has the capacity to put an end to the Pranes if it wants to do it, but they are not going to do it because they benefit from it. This is echoed from the top. General Manuel Figuera was the former spy chief for the Venezuelan president until April the 30th when he defected. Maduro has knowledge of all of this and has done very little, if anything. 
For years, he was part of Maduro's inner circle, with the US Treasury sanctioning him of accusations he oversaw mass torture, mass human rights violations and mass persecution. Now, with sanctions dropped, he's speaking out about corruption at the very top, backing the US assessment that Maduro's family are also profiting. There are companies linked to Maduro's family circle that buy the gold or negotiate the extraction of the gold in the south of the country. They sell one part of it to the central bank and the other part they take out of the country without any kind of control. In Caracas, we find this network expands beyond Venezuela. In 2018, Maduro traded Venezuelan gold to Turkey, some in exchange for food which the government then used in their subsidized food boxes. But it didn't stop there. According to a source at the Venezuelan central bank, 26 tons of gold were taken out of the bank to the end of April. They were put into private airplanes and their destination, Middle East and Africa. That's 1.6 billion dollars, much of it skirting U.S. sanctions. According to the source, several other shipments left Caracas this year to the United Arab Emirates directly and also via Uganda on a Russian plane in exchange for euros. Maduro is at the helm of a criminal enterprise. He has hijacked all the state's institutions to work in his service. This has allowed him to corrupt public servants and military officials in all the power structures in order to perpetuate his rule. This matches what we hear on the streets of El Callao, here where gold is a standard currency. Many like this gold seller are just a cog in the system which is controlled all the way from the top. But with the river of gold running deep and the economy shrinking by half in a span of five years, there is little sign Maduro and his men will turn their back on this blood gold. Here, human misery goes hand in hand with environmental devastation. It's a free-for-all, a gold rush where the main winner is Maduro. And Erica, CNN contacted both the Venezuelan government and the Venezuelan central bank but obtained no response. The Venezuelan government has dismissed U.S. sanctions in the past, saying they are an unjustified attack on the country and an attempt to get hold of its resources. Now, we also reached out to the Turkish government but received no response. And the Emirati official did tell CNN they take these matters seriously and that the UAE government is in compliance with international law but wouldn't comment on legal proceedings, it said, in another country, Erica. It's a remarkable story, Issa Suarez. Really appreciate going there to bring it to us. Thank you. New turmoil inside of one of the most powerful organizations in this country. In our national lead, after weeks of controversy, three more NRA leaders stepping down. Country music singer Craig Morgan and NASCAR team owner Richard Childress, both board members, along with the NRA's general counsel, are just the latest in a growing list of top NRA officials to step down. Former MRA President Oliver North was ousted in April after an internal struggle over money and spending. The NRA has not responded to CNN's multiple requests for comment, but does say none of those payments were improper. Thanks for joining us here on The Lead. You can follow me on Twitter at Erica R. Hill. Tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now.
When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.